morning in Delaware Church. My name is Wade. I want to start with a verse from the book of Hosea, the Old Testament book. And uh, this is chapter 6, verse, um, verse 1. And this is not our text today, but um, I want to start with it. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. Um, a quote that I've quoted by Flannery O'Connor, probably in the course of my time at this church, at least six or seven times over the past ten years, is this. Grace must wound before it heals. For God to do his work in us, sometimes he needs to wound us. Sometimes he needs to cut us open. And here's this verse in Hosea saying, when you're wounded, when you're torn, when you're hurt, the one who's doing it is God himself. And he's not doing us doing this to uh, for us just to suffer. He's doing it so that he would bring about the healing that we need as individuals, as sinners, and right now in the season of our church, that he would heal us as a church. So we are going through uh, last week and this week and the next couple weeks, um, we're looking at this passage in Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. And um, this is in the context of where we are as a church we're going to be in this space a little longer. There's this uh, this gray space that we're in right now where we don't know where we're headed. We don't know exactly. We have some idea as to where we're headed, but we're not ultimately in control of these things. There are things that we hope for. There are things that we're going to plan for. But we really, it's up to God to bring us to where we need to be. And in this time right now, we still remember and feel the effects of this past season But we also look ahead in anticipation of what the next season will look like. We're not going to wallow in the pain, in the anger, in the frustration and disappointment that we've felt, nor do we want to forget it. Because this season was ordained by God, and He will use it to serve His good purposes for our church, for all the parties involved, even for you. So what I want to talk about today is the necessity of neediness. The necessity of neediness. Last week, the, the, the focus as we looked at Isaiah 42 was the, this, this uh, one word, behold. What does it mean to behold Jesus in this time? And today I want to talk about the necessity of neediness or in keeping with alliteration, I had a couple, a couple things I, I was looking at. Uh, the work of weakness. Or put it another way, how does God use weakness for our good? Why is it a good thing for us that our deficiencies and weaknesses as individuals and as a church have been exposed? Why is it a good thing that we as a church are in a place of such need? So we're going to look at it from Isaiah 42. Uh, This is one of the four servant songs in the book of Isaiah that speak of the coming Messiah Jesus. We'll continue to look at this passage today, uh, just like we did last week and next week and the week after that, because I want us to think deeply about the work of God in our lives and in our church as we emerge from this difficult time. 
We're going to continue to face challenges in the coming months. But there is hopefulness in this passage as we look at what the prophet Isaiah says as God speaks through this prophet. I want us to see Jesus more because this passage is about Jesus ultimately. So in your bulletin... Uh, behind me on the screen in your Bibles, if you're following us online, this is going to be on your screen as well. We're going to read the same nine verses that we looked at last week. Verse 40, chapter 42, verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlines wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will keep, take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, who, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the word of God. So a quick recap of what this, the image that we're given in these verses. The bruised reed, the faintly burning wick. What is the bruised reed? So we spoke last week about uh, this. A reed is a, a stalk uh, that you might find along the marsh. And it's thin, it's weak. And the bruised reed is one that is broken. And as we look at the Hebrew in this text, it actually speaks not just of a uh, a slight superficial wound. It's not just a bruise like we're used to, but it's a deep contusion. It's a cut. It's one that hurts deeply. This is the image we get of this reed. It's nearly broken. And then there is this faintly burning wick. It's the, uh, imagine a candle that you've blown on and smoke is already starting to come up from the candle because it's about to die. And there's just a tiny, tiny bit of spark left in it. There's a tiny, tiny bit of heat left in it. This faintly burning wick. And I want us to consider, we as a church and we as individuals, we are the bruised reed. Through our sin, through our weakness, through our uh, all the things that make us human, we're not as strong as we want to be. We're not as as efficient. We're not as capable as we think we are. And at any moment, if something were some something, if it were strong enough, it were if it were effective enough, it would knock us out for good. Or this faintly burning wick. Sometimes we have just a tiny bit of faith left. So many doubts have overtaken us. We think upon all that is against us. And we are about to give up. It's just faintly burning wick. But this song, this, this, uh, song of the servants, it speaks of a servant who is coming, who notices this bruised reed, who notices this faintly burning wick. And it says that he will not break it. 
He will not quench the wick. What will he do? Gently and humbly he approaches these things. And faithfully he brings forth justice. And the justice that we spoke of last week was this mishpat justice. It wasn't just this legal type of justice, but it's a justice that makes all things right. And this servant comes and he looks at these lowly objects that are about to die. And he tends to them. He loves them. He's tender with them. And he brings them back to life. He blows on them to bring them back to the place that they need to be. And this is the heart of Jesus toward the reed and the wick. Jesus is faithful to care for his people. And Jesus is faithful to care for indelible Grace Church. Now in order for us to understand the significance of it, we need to understand why it's necessary for Jesus to do his work in us and in this church So, like I said, the title of the sermon is uh, The Necessity of Neediness. The Necessity of Neediness. And I mentioned this quote from Flannery O'Connor earlier. uh, Grace must wound. Why is it necessary that we are in this place of need right now? And the answer is this. Why? It's because we have a tendency to trust ourselves We have a tendency to trust the things that we look to. I mentioned last week, this Isaiah 42 comes after Isaiah 41, and Isaiah 41 sets it up for us. It says, um, we have always looked to gods. We've looked to little g-gods. We've looked to idols to bring us what we need. And ultimately, when we look to idols, what we're saying is, I'm smart enough to trust the right idols. I have enough knowledge to look to the things that I think will help me out. We resist entering this place of neediness because we want to be capable. We want to trust ourselves because we think that we can handle things. We think that our resources are enough. And to lose control is a scary thing. And if you're needy, it means that you are not in control. You can make plans, but you have no guarantee that those things will come about. You can exercise, but you have no guarantee that your health is going to keep up forever. You can plan financially or relationally or organizationally. But ultimately, you are not the one in control. So why do we need to enter this place of neediness? Because we need to know really that the truth all along has been that we are already needy. We often just don't remember that. We often don't realize that how needy we are. So really, the as we look at this idea of neediness, it's not that we need to be needy, it's that we need to know that we're in need. We need to know how much we need God. My uh, favorite author, Frederick Buechner, he has... In his book, this quote, it talks about the little g-gods, the idols. And let me read to you a couple paragraphs from his book. This is from his book, Magnificent Defeat. The gods of this world are sick unto death. If someone does not believe this, the next time he happens to wake up in the great silence of the night or of the day, just listen. 
And after a while, at the heart of the silence, he will hear the sound that gives it away. The soft, crazy thud of the feet of the gods as they stagger across the earth. The huge white hands fluttering like moths. The little moans of bewilderment and anguish. And we all shudder at the sound because to witness the death of gods is a fearsome thing. Which gods? The gods that we worship. The gods that our enemies worship. Their sacred names. And he goes on, I'm going to paraphrase. He lists the political systems that we believe in. Science. He lists the idea of God that much of the church accepts today. The Western Church, the Eastern Church. And then he continues. These are the gods in whom the world has put, has put its ultimate trust. Some of them are our particular gods. And there are plenty of others each can name for himself. And where are they now? They are dying, dying. And their twilight thickens into the night. Where is the security, security that they promised? Where is the peace? The terrible truth is that the gods of this world are no more worthy of our ultimate trust than are the men who created them. Men create idols. We create idols. Because we dare not trust the real God. Because if you really trust the true God, if you trust Yahweh, it means that you're not in control. So... Think about what Beekner says in his quotes. Indelible Grace Church, have you felt the gods dying? Have you heard them dying? This passage in Isaiah says, Consider the idols that are delusions. Consider the idols that promise provision and protection and salvation. But consider how that in the end they always ultimately fail you. So what about now in June 2022? I bet that many of you have thought about the economy this past week. I bet you that many of us in this room and in the courtyard and watching online are at least a little bit worried about the future that you had planned for yourself or your family. And you looked at the hit that your portfolio has taken and maybe you're a little bit thinking, uh, I'm going to have to re- rethink things. I don't like this. Or you're worried about your career prospects. You're worried about us entering a recession. And it looks like it's going to be bad. This is the sound of your God, your little G-God dying. Or has anyone disappointed you lately? They're less trustworthy than you thought they were. This is a God that's dying. Or do you sense the fracturing of society? You see the division and the distrust and the inequity and the injustice. And what can you do about it? Again, another idol that's dying. Or your health. What guarantee do you have that you won't be that you'll be around a month from today? How do you know that you won't be diagnosed with cancer in a few years or get COVID this afternoon? How do you know that someone won't lose control of their car and hit your car? Do you sense the little idols that you've put your trust in dying? And do you sense how weak you really are, how needy you are?
the band Thrice has um, a song called Beggars, and these are some of the lyrics. Can you safeguard your breath in the night while you sleep? Can you keep your beat, heart beat, beating steady and sure? Don't you know that all things hang as if by a string over the darkness poised to fall? If there's one thing I know in this life, we are beggars all. Who is in control of the things around you? Who is in control of you? The answer is that it's not you. We are in such need. Or what about this? Not just externally, but what about us morally and spiritually? Have you tried to be a good person lately? Have you been able to keep your composure when someone lashed out at you? Have you treated everyone you've come across this week with pure love and respect? Have you been as generous as you, as you could have been? Have you resisted in letting bitterness fester in your hearts? Have you successfully resisted grumbling and complaining about the life that you're living or the people around you or the situation that you're in? Have you kept all your promises? And if you haven't, and my guess is that your answer is no, that means that we're something that the Bible calls sinners. There is a thing called sin that the Bible says leads to eternal life. We're in such need. And what about the state of our church? We have so many needs right now. And we're not sure exactly how we're going to fill those needs. We're not sure how things will shake out in the coming season. If you look at our metrics, it can be really discouraging We've been significantly weakened, IGC. This is the truth. This is where we are. We are weak. We are needy. To be needy means that we've been stripped of everything that we've relied on. Everything that we've looked to and we, things we've taken for granted. Dying, dying, dying. And this is where there's hope for us. It's in the weakness. It's in the neediness. It's not in our supposed strength or our, or our illusion of safety. But it's in this place, this difficult place that we're in, that we can experience something good and beautiful and true. Why? Because God is God. Because Jesus is who He is. Consider the heart of God. Consider the heart of Jesus. Psalm 51. A broken and contrite heart. He will not despise. Jesus throughout the gospels. And when he sees those laying in the streets. When he sees those crying out for mercy. When he sees those who are desperate. What does he do? His heart bends toward them. To those who are suffering. To the sinners. The heart of Jesus is always for those who are weak. Jesus is always for those who realize that they do not have it together. If you do not admit that you are in a place of need, then you will not experience the provision that God has for you. The same for our church. And God lets us feel our neediness. He lets us experience the depth of our weakness so that we would continually look to Him, so that we would look to Him with gratitude. Richard Sibbs was a Puritan, and he wrote this uh, classic book called The Bruised Reed. Let me read you a couple quotes. After conversion, we need bruising so that we might remember that we are reeds and not oaks. Even reeds need bruising 
because of the remaining pride in our nature and to show us that we live by mercy. Such bruising may help weaker Christians not to be too much discouraged when they see stronger ones shaken and bruised. And listen, I love this quote right here. The heroic deeds of great saints do not comfort the church as much as their falls and bruises do. Let me read that again. The heroic deeds of great saints do not comfort the church as much as their falls and bruises do. What is he saying here? When you see someone else who has experienced the work of God in their lives, this is what discourages you. And how are we to experience the work of God except to admit that we need the work of God in our lives? Your sin can be an encouragement to others. Not to encourage them to sin, but when you can say that you are that sinner or when you can say that you are in this place of need, other people look at that and say, wow, now I see that God works in people like that. Now I can see the strength of God. Now I can see the provision and the goodness of God in the falls and bruises of these people. God puts us in this place so that we would be humbled, so that our pride would be stripped away, so that we would not rely on things that we're used to relying on. A a couple more uh, sentences from Richard Sibbs. This bruising is required before conversion so that the Spirit may may make way for himself into the heart by leveling all proud high thoughts that we may understand ourselves to be what we indeed are by nature, We love to wander from ourselves and to be strangers at home till God bruises us by one cross or another and then we begin to think and come home to ourselves with the prodigal. Referring to the prodigal son in Luke 15. It is a very hard thing to bring a dull and evasive heart to cry with feeling for mercy. Our hearts, like criminals, until they be beaten from all evasions, never cry for the mercy of the judge. When God hurts us, and God will, when God wounds us, and He does, it's not so that he would, we would just feel the suffering and punishment. It's, it's so that we would see we need God. We need His strength. We need His mercy. We need Him to save us. So this is why God puts us in a place of neediness, so that we'll experience the power of God. So what does God do for us in our neediness? Look at verse 5 in chapter 42. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it. And listen to these two lines. Who gives breath to the people who people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. When God looks upon this bruised reed, when he looks upon this faintly burning wick, He looks upon a creature or a church who feels their need for new life. And how does God give us new life? It says, He gives us breath. He gives us the Spirit. What does it mean to get the Spirit? You might have, um, you know these words, expire and inspire. At the root, um, there is this uh, the, the word spire, um, spirits. When someone expires, it means that their spirit has gone out from them. It means that the breath in them has 
has gone out. When someone is inspired, it means that something has gone into them. It means that wind or a spirit has gone into them. Expire and inspire. And God blows into us a new life. If we admit our need, then we can receive what it is that we actually do need. When we breathe in, we're saying, God, give me the breath that I need. Give me the wind. Give me the life that I need because I do not have it in myself. This is what God does for us. He gives us breath. He gives us spirit. He gives us life. We cannot take hold of what God has for us with closed fists. Do you want to take what God has for you? Then you need to let go. And this is so difficult to let go. We need to open up our hands and say that we have nothing. What do we have to give to God? God is so happy. God is so pleased when you say to God, I've got absolutely nothing to give you, God. Not my talent, not my strength, not my intellect, not my finances. God, I have nothing. And God is smiling when someone, when a church says to him, we've got nothing for you, God. We've got nothing. And God says, now I can do something for you. Now I can do something with you. So this is what God does for us in our neediness. And then how does God do his reed healing, candle rekindling work? This passage is, in Isaiah 42, it's, it's actually something that Jesus quotes in the book of Matthew. When Jesus is baptized, the spirit, like a dove, comes upon him. And Jesus, he quotes this, um, this, these verses from the book of Isaiah Jesus is this servant. And Jesus came to become not the bruised reed, but the broken reed. Jesus came not to be the faintly burning wick, but Jesus was the wick that was snuffed out for good. Jesus cares for the bruised reed by becoming the broken reed. Jesus tends to the faintly burning wick by being the wick that was burnt out completely. And this is the gospel. This is the hope that we have as a church. This is the same gospel that we've preached for 12 years as a church. That we needed a saving. We needed rescue from the judgment of God because we have turned against Him. We've sinned. We've rebelled against Him. And God could have snuffed us out. God could have broken us. God could have let us die the death that we deserved. But he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as his servant for our sake. And on the cross, Jesus received the punishment that we deserve. Jesus gave us the righteousness that he, that belonged wholly to him. So that now we can have the life that belongs to Jesus. Now, we can experience the love that God the Father has for Jesus the Son. Now we can be vessels that the God that God uses God can blow his spirit into us to work when we believe and accept the gospel then we can be healed and we must continually be reminded of it we must always think of it IGC that if not for Jesus then we would have nothing but death 
Otherwise, I'm going to be someone who's always looking to other things to fill me, to make me feel adequate, to make me feel strong and, and loved. We need to believe that Jesus is the only one we need. And if we have Jesus, then we have everything. When we have everything through Jesus, this is when we can become people who give life to others. We can be overflowing with life because we are dependent on the one who is life. Do you remember this saying from Jesus in John 7? Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Do you want to be the type of person who actually has something to contribute to the life of the church? Do you want to be the type of person who can actually love as you're supposed to love them? The only way that's going to happen is if from your heart there is water from another source of life coming from it, overflowing from it. God wants to give to us. God is happy to serve IGC. And this is God's heart for you. This is God's heart for us. This is God's heart for this church right now. Bruised IGC. To be needy is a good place to be because now it means that we can take hold of what God has for us in this season. If we're going to fill ourselves up with our strategies, if we're going to fill ourselves up with ideas for how to, how to bring this organization back to life, it's just going to lead to more death. People will be burnt out. People will be frustrated. But if you look to God and say, God, I need you, Jesus, I need the life that you offer and something good and beautiful can happen in this place. Only when we realize and admit that we are needy and that we're weak will God do His supernatural work in us and in this church. And I have a question for you if you belong to this church. And it's a little bit of a difficult question. But I think right now we need to consider it. And this is a question. What if you were a part of something that was doomed to fail if God is not in it? What if you were part of something that's doomed to fail unless God is active in this place? What if we gave of ourselves and submitted to the Spirit and kept on pushing our friends to do the same? Then you'll see how much you really need Him. And then you'll see what God can really do. As long as we rely on ourselves, as long as you remain confident in the people that lead this church and you place all your confidence in them, you're going to be disappointed And you're going to get the results of what man can do. And we've made such a mess, haven't we? But if we look to God, if we look to God to change our hearts, if we look to God to supply our needs, if we look to God to focus our attention on Christ, then what can God do in this place? What do you want to see in this coming season? Are you waiting and seeing? 
Are you going to evaluate the leadership and see if they're up to snuff? Do you want to see how far we can go as an organization with the limited resources that we have? You're going to be disappointed if you look to people. But look to Christ. And in the coming weeks and months, and hopefully for years and years and years, what we want to do is we want to fix our eyes on Christ. We want to focus on Jesus. We want, us to, we want people who serve in this church to do it from a place of life. We don't want people serving out of their own strength. Our hope is that we will have our eyes fixed on Jesus That we would admit that we're poor and weak and needy. But because we belong to Jesus, that we can be rich in all things because Jesus is infinitely rich. Jesus is powerful and generous and never lacking. Therefore, He is the one that we look to. He's the one that we worship. And listen to this verse from 1 Peter 4. Whoever serves, let him be as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Let us serve with the strength that God provides. Our neediness is a testament to the power of God. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. This is the hope that we have, not in our strength as a church, but in our weakness, because in our weakness, God will show his strength to us. The songwriter Andrew Peterson has these as a lyric in one of his songs. Maybe it's a better thing to be more than merely innocent, but to be broken than redeemed by love. Can we see this season as a gift? Can we see all the wounds of this past season as a gift to us? Because God is doing something in these wounds. God will do something. I think that God can make something beautiful with what has happened here. We are broken right now, but God can and will redeem us. And as we realize this, that He is doing His work here, may it cause us to love And trust Him all the more. God will do His work. God will do His work in our weakness. So let me just close with this verse from Hosea, which I began with. Come, let us return to the Lord. For He has torn us, that He may heal us. He has struck us down, and He will bind us up. Will you pray with me? Lord, we don't like that you have torn us. We don't like that we've been so badly hurt. We don't like all the heartache and heartbreak that we've experienced in this season. But we believe that you're working in it. We believe that though you have torn us, that your heart is to heal us. Though you have struck us down, your heart is to bind us up. 
So God, may our church be a testament to the fact that God is good, God is powerful, that God works through sinners like us. And as people look at us, may they say, not that our church is great, but that God is great. That Jesus is worthy of all things. We pray this in his name. Amen.